Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. Oh, goodness, Marjorie. It's nice to be reunited with you after a very fun Thanksgiving week. <laughs> it is. I missed you. I, I missed you. you. I felt like I should have called you on Thanksgiving or something, but I'm like, no, no, let her be. Let her be. She's with her family. It was um, a good was- Thanksgiving. Was it? Tell me about it. Yeah, it turned out really great. We hosted, uh, over the last week, four massive gatherings. What? Massive gatherings at our house. <laughs> I hosted um, almost 30 people for a staff mini Thanksgiving for the Twin Cities Live staff. So we had uh-huh. everybody over on a Sunday. Then we hosted my entire family on Thursday, which was Thanksgiving. Then we hosted Jay's family um, for our Thanksgiving with them, which we do our whole Mexican tortilla soup amazingness. We did right. that on Friday. Then on Saturday for the Big Badger Gopher game, we hosted <laughs> like 25 people and kids to watch the game. It has been pure mayhem and then it was visit santa put up christmas tree and hence i'm drinking some bourbon while i talk to you tonight are you exhausted mm. <laughs> i just have to swallow i feel pretty good i feel i was feeling a little tired i mean i fit in like i fit in a little nap today with bernie we napped and so right. you know i've been fitting in some things like that so i am feeling a little tired but you know what it was so much fun because yeah. this is really when we're hosting we're not hosting a lot over christmas we're not hosting right. anything really Right. And that's nice. It was the first Thanksgiving in our new kitchen. And yeah. so it was really just an opportunity to be able to have people that I work with and then our families and then friends all over. And it was so much fun. So it felt really good. I mean, it's still like a lot and it's busy, but it was really fun to just see this house, this come alive. old house just come alive, like filled yeah. with people and all sorts of stuff. How was Thanksgiving for you? You and Ian were together, right? Mm, complicated. Mm. Okay. So the backstory <laughs> on Thanksgiving is I really just wanted to be with my husband. My sons are 28 and 26. So this is a real confession that I just, we just don't see each other. I see him once a month. I just wanted to go and I had a week. So I just wanted to take the week with him, do whatever we wanted to do, go shopping when we felt like going shopping and just be responsible for each other. So I had thought that my older son might come to Tempe to be with his younger brother. He opted out of that. So then I put a good spin on it. Like, okay, the punnets are going to have a very modern Thanksgiving. I, I mean, I still feel kind of guilty. I don't make a lot of selfish moves like this. I don't. But I did. And I just – so I, I, I think I have a little shame and guilt over this. So Carr ended up staying in Chicago. 
He's the 28-year-old. You know this. Right. Campbell ended up staying in Tempe. He's 26. Okay, they're grown men. They can handle this. Totally. And the spin on it was it's going to be a very modern Thanksgiving. We're all going to FaceTime. It'll be funny. And in the Punnett household, you know, for the sake of the gag, is always a good thing. It'll be funny. This is how we'll do it. Well, my older son opts to go out to a very nice restaurant in Chicago with some friends of his from work. My younger son's mad at his brother for not coming here. Not so mad that I left, but mad that his brother is not coming here. So Campbell, his revenge, and I kept thinking the whole time, and I even told Campbell the story, that your parents abandoned you and went to the Cayman Islands. They did. It was the worst Thanksgiving ever, although we did learn that we love macaroni and cheese on Thanksgiving. That story is in a previous podcast. Yes. So there's precedence. I'm not the first parent that deserted adult children on Thanksgiving. So Campbell decides that his revenge is he's, and he's a very good cook, was he was going to make the most beautiful Thanksgiving dinner for himself. That that would be his revenge in the sense that his would look better than anybody else's, his would taste better than anybody else's. I like how he rolls. I like how he thinks. I think this is really great. So I think he won. His was gorgeous. I mean, his turkey was – I mean, he roasted a full turkey. (laughs) (laughs) He did a full, from scratch, pecan pie. Yes. He had mashed potatoes. He had cranberry sauce that he made himself. He did a three-bean casserole that he made himself. Yes. Fresh whipped cream, which he whipped himself. I mean, it was a, it was the most beautiful Thanksgiving spread. And so if that's the worst of the revenge, it's okay. But I had a lot of shame and guilt. And he was really good at making me feel guilty with a smile, you know, a smirk on his face and a smile in his eyes. So it was fine. But it didn't, it didn't work out quite the way I thought it would. We were all kind of separate. And the worst part about it was Gar discovered that that may have been his best Thanksgiving ever. He loved going out. He loved going out, loved going out with friends. I was like, no, no. So we can't do that again. We can't make that his tradition that he goes out to a very nice restaurant in Chicago. No. No, he can go out the day after Thanksgiving. Yes. Yes. So this was, this was a, this was an experiment that failed. It does. That's okay. You know, I think we've all had that where you kind of go, okay, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay if we're apart. We'll figure it out. It's not the end of the world. We're going to be together for this. And then I do think, more often than not, you learn the lesson that yeah. it does matter. Like it, it does. does matter for us to be together. And that's a good thing. Yeah. No, no, no. And we really like each other. So it is a good thing. That's but how not, my parents are. Yeah. They never went to the Cayman Islands again. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not a good idea. And so next year we will be together and we're all going to be together for Christmas. So it, it'll be lovely. But to, to exactly what you said, you can justify that, oh, we'll be together soon, but it still felt weird. It still felt kind of wrong. Now, the upside was my husband and I had a fabulous time. <laughs> so we, we enjoyed every minute of it, but it, it still so felt good. a little wrong. Yeah, oh, it I was really it. good. So this week we were talking about kindness. Um, we had talked a little bit about this. We were talking about what we were grateful for in one of the podcasts last week. And one of the things I said is I'm grateful that I have kind children. They're kind to me. I think they're kind in the world. We used to get reinforcement from, you know, the, these are the things that are in front of you, Elizabeth, in uh, parent-teacher conferences, which you probably already have those with daycare. Yeah, we do. They'll tell you how your children behave. They'll tell you whether your child is being kind or not. And coincidentally, after we, we you and I talked about that a little bit, I was reading two articles in The Atlantic that both touched on this idea of kindness. And... 
it's I think we're all feeling um, because of the political landscape, I think we're all feeling that the world feels a bit more agitated right, right. now. Right. And it doesn't feel good. And I often wonder, like, how does that feel when you have young kids? Do you watch the news with them? Do you not watch the news with them? And so from a sort of bigger world perspective, um, I thought it was interesting. There was a piece, like I said, in The Atlantic about at UCLA, they just got a huge grant, a $20 million grant to start a kindness think tank. And I thought that was pretty cool, sort of in the big picture of where do we go as a country if we become more and more uncivil, if we become more and more unkind, what does right. that mean for us? And so the think tank is going to sort of grapple those kinds of questions. So I, I like that idea. I mean, I think to a lot of people that can sound kind of woo-woo and kind of like, oh, my God, what a waste of money. But I think that we're in such a place right now that we do have to look at the societal big picture of kindness and what that means as a society and what we value as a society. But for all of us that are mothers and fathers, we have to go very sort of micro and we need to look at our families and what are we doing to promote kindness within our own families. And that was the second article in The Atlantic, which talked about – and it's the headline that caught my attention because the headline is, Stop Trying to Raise Successful Kids, Raise Kind Kids. And I love that so much because I think what's in front of you, Elizabeth, is you'll start to hear – the parental chatter, the competition, the, you know, what are your kids doing? What instruments are they playing? What sports are they in? It starts. And I just, I early on sort of tried to retreat from that. I'm very competitive by nature. And so for myself, I don't know that that, the way that I'm competitive with myself, I was always not kind to myself. And so when I had children, I really thought a lot about what is my expectation of them and how will I handle that? You know, when my my son was a swimmer and when he got into swimming, I said, you have a choice. I think I've said this to you before. You have a choice. I can be the kind of mom that's keeping track of all your times and I can be right there and I can be super competitive with you or I can just be in the stands and watch and enjoy what it is that you do. And he said, I'll take the second. Yeah, no kidding. Um, And so I just think that this idea of how are we going to raise kind kids and how do you make that a focus within your family and how do you balance that out in obviously wanting your children to be able to take care of themselves? And that's how I define a successful adult. You know, if your child's a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever your child chooses to become, that's great. But for me, it's how is that – how is your child going to take care of themselves in the world and how are they going to take care of other people? Oh, no Beyond kidding. That, I just want them to be able to make scrambled eggs for themselves. That's like yeah. the main thing. Can you scramble your own your eggs? Own if eggs. you can scramble your own eggs, it's then the you are a successful person. I, I know. It's interesting that you bring this up because – Always, it seems like we're always, we're so in tune with topics that are happening. I just took our first, uh, kindergarten school tour for where we might send Bernie, um, next year. So she'll go to kindergarten in the fall. We live in the city. So the school choice is overwhelming and, and much more complicated than it is if you live in the suburbs, which is where both my husband and I grew up. So for us, it was like, you go to your neighborhood school and it's not even an issue. Well, here it's like, you could go to your neighborhood school or you can do charter schools or you can do private schools or you can do a magnet school. I mean, there's so 
many different schools. So we took a tour last week and um, I teared up no fewer than four times. Oh, cried yeah. on the drive home from the yep. tour. And I really teared up at the point when the principal who gave, you know, a little speech and kind of a history on this school that has a really cool history. This particular school that we were looking at actually started as a school for disabled kids. Hmm. And so it was built and it was really revolutionary at the time because it was built in like the 20s um, and it was built during the polio epidemic. And it was built as a school to house um, children and educate children who were disabled, but do it in a way that would, would create totally independent individuals who could thrive. There and this go. was so revolutionary because at the time, nobody was looking at disabled kids like that. No right. one was looking at these kids as a way of that they could, you know, do anything for themselves and be independent and live productive lives. It was sort of no. like, okay, how are you going to survive? And we they have to put insist- you somewhere. Yeah, they would institutionalize them. Totally. And this school, how its roots are in inclusivity, which I thought was so special and so sweet. But at the same time, the principal did address the issue of bullying and said, you know, we talk about bullying a lot. We address it. Here's what we do. We have conversations. We don't say to a bully, hey, go in the corner, because all that shows a bully is if I do this, I get put in the corner. It's let's get to the root of why the behavior is this way. And of course, I got all tearful then because I just started thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is what's ahead of her and I'm not going to have all of the control that I have now and I'm not going to be able to keep her in this small sheltered environment as I have for so long. And, and you do think about that and, and I am, I am so always impressed by my children and how they're. Well, Bernie especially. Franklin is too. He's a wild animal. But her instinct is to be kind. I mean, her instinct is to look out for other people. And and even Franklin, I know, has it in him. He just has a harder time getting it out because he's a real narcissistic two-year-old right now. (laughs) You know, they're like Um, all about themselves. Most are. Most are. (laughs) Yeah. They're all about themselves. Um, But it is – you see that and you can see how you've got two ways to go, that you either foster that – and you right. celebrate that kindness or you start to celebrate other things like accomplishments yeah. and accomplishments take precedent over anything else. And it's really well, tricky. Well, listen to this. So in that article, it was written by Adam Grant and Allison Sweet Grant. So a couple. And this is exactly what we're talking about. It said, the, the article says, if you survey American parents about what they want for their kids, more than 90% say one of their top priorities is their children to be caring. This makes sense. Kindness and concern for others are held as moral virtues in nearly every society and every major religion. But when you ask children what their parents want from them, 81% say their parents value achievement and happiness over caring. Wow. Okay, so look at that disconnect. And it goes back to, it goes back to what are you modeling for your kids and what are you saying to your kids? So, I mean, I, I read that and I thought that was stunning because that's a very clear disconnect about what we're telling, telling our kids who we want them to be. Do we want them to be straight A? To what extent do we want them to be straight A? Yeah. Do we want them to be super competitive at the expense of others? Now, I have no problem with competition. I don't. Um, I, I don't in that sense, but. 
I have a problem with competition that puts down other people or that is at, at the expense of somebody else. So so it's, it, it is a careful message that you send your kids about what what is important, what is your family value, and what are you modeling? And I'd like to think with our kids, we modeled both simultaneously. But I actually asked my son Campbell, I said, what did we do with you? I said, did you, do you think, like, do you think that we, there was a focus on kindness in our family? And he said, yeah. And he said, but I thought this was interesting. He said, what most of all he remembers about being a young child and then through middle school was how we treated them kindly with kindness. But also he said, you didn't treat us like equals, but we always felt equal and we felt respected. Yeah, you felt like people. You felt like people. And mm-hmm. I think part of that, that's sort of foundational to kindness, is that someone has a sense of themselves, a strong sense that they have value and they have worth. Because quite frankly, if you feel like you have worth, it's very hard to be unkind to other people. Right. You want other people to have that feeling too. And I think it's interesting that you said about Bernie, she's got this sort of instinct for kindness. And I wouldn't argue with that because that's probably true to a certain extent. But I would also say, you model kindness. You're a very kind person. And so is it an instinct? Maybe a little bit. Or is she just watching you? And I think that's what parents have to understand foundationally. And I think most do. But it's harder to live it when you really think about it. Yeah, It's harder to live it. I think that, you know, the, a lot of it too is thinking about, especially, you know, when we relate this back to your nest and how you're behaving in your home and boy, I mean, this is something that we have to work on and are working on, but is the tone in which we speak to each other. Yep. And I think that tone is really important and it's hard because especially like, I mean, I will have to, I say this to my husband a lot, you know, Jay grew up in a house where he was one of two boys and he was, grew up in a, in an ice rink, grew up with coaches and the tone that he thinks is okay to use is completely different than the tone that I think is okay to use. I mean, the amount of times that I will say, can you listen to yourself? Like this is not the tone that I think is appropriate. This is not the tone that I want to be spoken to with. And he just like, it's so hard for him because if you're raised in that environment to him, there are just like ways that you speak to each other that it doesn't even phase him at all. You know what I mean? It's sort of a little bit like the difference between Midwesterners and people on the East coast, right? Like people on the East coast (laughs) just have no problem with the way that with like speaking sharply to one another and excessively swearing. Right. I mean, my sister, Jenny, this is so funny. My youngest sister is like (laughs) so nice. She is one of the most, if not the most thoughtful person I know in Mm. life. I mean, Mm. she is beyond thoughtful. Jenny is like five, nine blonde bombshell. Okay. And she lived in New York for six years and she would always joke that when she got to New York, she would feel the, like just her demeanor shift as a person as she was flying in and landing at LaGuardia. And then what she would become on the street in New York was she would be a person who, if there were people in her way, she would keep walking and go move get out of the way. Move. <laughs> That's what she would say to them. And 
she would just be like, this is not happening. Move. And then she would say she would get back to Minnesota and just be like a totally different person. I mean, it's just, it is interesting how certain situations, I mean, when you look at kindness and how you define the tone in which you speak to each other in your home, I think you do have to be intentional about setting it and also understanding that you have probably people in your home, because if you're in a relationship with someone that may be thinking that the way that you speak to each other is acceptable in in a totally different fashion. I mean, we go yeah. through this all the time where I have to it's, say, it's a, you it's cannot a speak to me this way. I yep. cannot, I cannot hear this because I immediately go into defensive mode when you come at me like that. It's just not working. And Jay's like, well, what's the problem? It's a real, it, it's interesting how I had no idea that we had that big of a communication, just difference. this big difference until yeah. we got married and had kids and had to communicate about just like these little things that Jay's just like, get with the program. This is what we're doing. And I'm like, take your train and back it up. I don't want to be talked to like that. <laughs> it's really fascinating. No, it, it really is. A, it's it's interesting. a big deal though. That's a big deal though, because I'm telling you from experience on this one, the way that you talk to your children is the way that they will talk to you when they're 15. Oh, for sure. So if you want kind children, even in conflict, you need to talk to them. You need to be very mindful of the patterns that you're setting because it's just amazing. And, and I, I will give, I will give Ian most of the credit for setting the tone of how we would talk to one another, even in a day to day way. Um, because, but I mean, we're not perfect either. So don't, don't think that I'm saying it like, like it was it was just a little piece of heaven on earth at our house. It wasn't. I mean, there were all sorts of failures, but it was it was a conscious effort to make sure that we were speaking that we would try and treat each other well, even in conflict. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it would go haywire, but for the most part, I look at how we communicate as adults. I mean, even I mean, we don't fight like the kids and I don't ever fight, and so even Campbell. And his way of rebelling against the fact that he was alone here in Tempe for Thanksgiving was funny. And he was funny about (laughs) it. And so that was what was always, I think, really predominantly modeled for them. And I think it's so important. I think you've hit something which I think was so important to me is that when we talk about kindness as a society, it's easy to say, oh, that's great that UCLA is starting a think tank about kindness. I do think that's great, but that's very big picture stuff. For sure. On the on the smaller, granular level, every one of us has so much power within our immediate surroundings to make our homes, like we always talk about, pleasant, even if there are problems. You can still have the right tone, the right sense of respect. And if you've got toddlers, trust me, if you do that when they're toddlers, the teenage years are easy. They were easy for us. And that's I think that's, that's important. I, you know, and I also think when it comes to kindness, it's important to take it one step further and go even further into confidence. Because mm. I do think that kindness just comes more easily if there's confidence. You know, so much of being unkind to people is 
when you are unhappy or unfulfilled or on on edge, uh, you know, and you're feeling like unsettled and you don't know your place in the world and you don't have a sense of your own value. And that's when you're, it's so easy to just throw jabs at other people or when you're younger, you know, to be not nice to other people because it feels better to be not nice to somebody than it does to really look at how you're feeling about yourself. And well, I think, yeah, yeah. so I think that confidence piece, and that's where it comes back to, the confidence piece comes from praising your children for the effort, praising mm-hmm. your children for the process, not praising the outcome and the achievement. You know, not feeling like you get that confidence if you know that you are a valuable, worthy human being. No matter what. For being on the journey. Right. And just for being right. who you are and being praised for just being. I mean, it's not about, to me, I always just think like, I remember reading this amazing thing that said, you know, even just as much as praising your children for walking, your children should be able to walk, right? right. Able-bodied children <laughs> right. should be walk. able to walk. Accomplishing right. walking is, I mean, that's a, that should happen. That should be an expectation, but praising them for you fell back down and you got back up. God. Look at how hard you're trying. Look yeah. at this. Look at the practice that's going into this and how you are focusing and you're trying and you fell back down and you got back up. And now look at that. I mean, praising that process is such a shift from just praising the outcome. And that's how I think you raise kids that are that are kind because they feel confident in themselves and their self-worth comes from who they are, not from what they achieve. Yeah. You know, it's, as you were saying that about failure, both of my children took piano and neither one of them, and I don't have any problem saying this, have any gift for being musicians, (laughs) zero, but they took piano lessons. And so I remember we, this is when we lived in Atlanta. So Campbell was probably four or five, maybe, maybe six. I can't remember, but little. And so they were all dressed up. They had their little blue blazers on and ties and the whole deal. It was a very formal little recital. And we were all in the room and Gar went up and played something and, and did fine. You know, it was just, it was, you know, it was, I don't even remember what it was, but it was, it was nothing probably ex- some like killer twinkle, twinkle, little star. Exactly. <laughs> nothing extraordinary. He was not, he was not Mozart. So he was not playing anything that impressive, but he was fine. And he played it just fine. Yay. Everybody sort of applauded. Yay. And then about 20 minutes later, it was Campbell's turn. And you now mind you, he's five or six. Blue blazer, just adorable. You know, he had these pudgy little cheeks. He's just an adorable little six-year-old. He goes up to the piano, very serious, very, very serious, sits down at the piano and starts playing and messes up. Oh, yeah. So he stops, waits a moment, and then starts again. And then he messes up again. Okay. Stops. Starts again from the beginning, messes up, stops, starts again from the beginning. (laughs) How many times are we going? Four times. Four times. The room was palpably uncomfortable. (laughs) And Ian and I were dying. We were dying of laughter inside. We did not laugh out loud, but I was so proud of him for having the confidence just be like, 
I'm going to get this. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it my own time. And if there was, you know, a ribbon being awarded that night, he would not have gotten it. But that was the that was the pride. It was just like he had this the inner strength. To, I mean, I was kind of uncomfortable. He just had the inner strength to just keep going. And I think I was proud because I thought in that moment, he, he knows who he is. He knows who he is. And as parents, that's all you can hope for is that a kid has a pretty good sense of who they are. For sure. And he did. He did. And it was, but it's, it's, it's praising the right things. And, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I said, I, I have to confess that I was very hard on them academically. And so it's not that I only praise them for being kind, but I will say there was a parallel track and they knew what was important to it. And I, I do think we modeled that for them. I hope we did, but I know. it's, I it's, think it's that, a well, hard listen. thing. And if I want my child to just be able to scramble eggs and I will consider that a success, Campbell made a whole turkey (laughs) and a casserole and pecan pie and a young man who knows the value of homemade whipped cream. I mean, that, my friend, is true success. Yeah, we can we can give that credit to his father for teaching him well on that one. It's pretty good. That's wonderful. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And if you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. So we have one from Julie. She says, I love listening to true crime. Oh, okay. But this, this is a beautiful palate cleanser. These women are two of my favorites. I would listen to them read the phone book to each other. And if they giggled, all the better. Thanks, Julie. See, that's what I love. A very low bar. She's setting a very low bar for us. We, and, but she loves us. She loves us anyway. I love that. And please reach out to us. You can find both of us on Instagram at Best of the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Well, you're one of the kindest people I know. So I'm always oh. glad to be able to talk to you. I feel the same way about you. Cheers with my bourbon to you there, my darling. <laughs> I have wine. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.